Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. The Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. We're back. Bob Cordaro with you. The great three-dog night. Was a fan, am a fan. Bigger than ever now since uh, our little trip. Bob Cadaro back with you, hour number three of the uh, Lollapalooza. And a reminder, this program is brought to you by Pizza Bella Mountaintop, the home of the zero-carb pizza crust. We don't know how they do it, but they do it, and they do it well. Now available at Pizza Bella Mountaintop only, Route 309 in Mountaintop. And our hourly sponsors, the Marjon Golf Course. Right up there in Jefferson Township slash Mount Cobb, both towns. And uh, it's the best bargain in golf. And and maybe the best food in golf. And the Dunmore Lumber Company, 622 South Blakely Street, Dunmore. Yeah, they'll give you service. Yes, they'll give you selection. Yes, they'll give you price. But they'll give you convenience that the big box stores cannot touch. So... Quickly, the as we watch what's going on with the Wagner Group and this, I don't know what you'd call it. A coup would be, I, I, I called it the folk uh, coup, which actually has a cute sound to it, doesn't it? F-A-U-X. Sort of a fake coup. and uh, but it, But it means something. But see... You're going to have these idiots in the Biden administration and the foreign policy establishment. They are playing checkers. They think getting rid of Putin changes everything. Well, no, it does not. And they've been wrong about everything in foreign policy ever since. They've been wrong about this war. They caused this war. They gave Putin the license to do this attack. With their energy policy and their weakness. So they think, like right now, would be the best time to get heavily involved in negotiations and get a settlement. Get a ceasefire. Get an end to this war. But see, they don't get it. They don't care what's going to replace Putin. They just hate Putin. It's, it's, It's a Trumpian type thing. And so they just get rid of Putin. They don't care who comes. They don't care what comes. They don't care if chaos reigns. They're that awful. They're that stupid. 
So now could be the it would be the ideal opportunity, but they won't take it. Sad. Our leadership is sad. All right. Rick Bigelow's with us. Now, we're commemorating the start of the Korean War. And as always, his expertise is unparalleled. Rick Bigelow, welcome. Thanks, Bob. Glad to be with you. All right. Tell us uh, the date and all of that when things really blew up uh, in Korea. Okay. All right. Uh, Well... Let me give a little background first. Uh, there's an ancient Korean proverb where they refer to themselves as a shrimp between two whales. Hmm. And the two whales have always been China and Japan over the millennia. Both of them have either invaded Korea or fought each other over who's going to control Korea. So there was uh, a war between China and Japan in 1894 and the Japanese won and they slowly moved into Korea in 1905 uh, the Russo-Japanese war ended uh, with the Treaty of Portsmouth New Hampshire where Teddy Roosevelt won the Nobel Peace Prize and that treaty allowed Japan to move into and control Korea in 1910 uh, Japan formally annexed Korea and they held on to it until the uh, end of World War II and, and like a lot of the hotspots throughout the world in the last 50 or 60 years, a lot of them have come out of uh, what happened in World War II. So a couple days after the atomic bomb was uh, dropped on uh, Hiroshima, the Russians invaded China and Korea. And one of the battalion commanders uh, of the, the Russians who were moving in to Korea was Kim Il-sung, hmm. who eventually became the uh, the president dictator of North Korea. So when the uh, when the Russians came in, all of a sudden the Americans got really concerned about it, and we moved troops into the southern part of Korea. Make a long story short, uh, we agreed with the Russians that we'd divide Korea at the 38th parallel. Uh, we uh, would install a government in the south, and that was headed by Syngman Rhee, and of course Kim Il-sung was the, uh, the leader in the north. Uh, Kim Il-sung and Syngman Rhee disagreed on everything, except they both wanted to reunite the Korean Peninsula. Of course, uh, Syngman Rhee wanted to be the president, and Kim Il-sung wanted to be the president. So in the time period between 1945... Was Kim Il-sung, was he a natural communist, or was that just, well, I'm I'm going that way because that's who's backing me up? Well, it's interesting about Kim Il-sung. His family was all Christians. Uh, in Korea, because there had been a very active uh, uh, missionary group in Korea, maybe a third of Koreans were Christians at this point in time, and he was a very uh, militant anti-Japanese uh, fighter. He was jailed several times and eventually escaped to Russia, and since Russia was communist, he figured the only way to become a, a power broker was to become a communist. So he, he became a, a dedicated Stalinist. <laughs> All so, right. So, so there's this uneasy borderline between the countries. What makes uh, Kim think 
that now was the time to attack? Well, Kim, Kim Il-sung was always asking Stalin, because Stalin basically controlled all, all communist governments and all communist parties. Uh, he continually asked uh, Stalin uh, to invade and reunite Korea, and Stalin said no, because he didn't want to antagonize the Americans. But in, in January of 1950, uh, Secretary of State Dean Acheson, U.S. Secretary of State, made a speech at the National Press Club in Washington, and he said the U.S. defense perimeter includes Japan, the Ryukyus, which is Okinawa and surrounding islands, and the Philippines. No mention was made of Korea. So Kim Il-sung hustles back to Moscow, says, I think now's the time to do it, and, uh, and Stalin okays it. And, so uh, so you know, gives- there's been a ton of speculation on what was behind the Atchison speech. Uh, have you come to a conclusion as to whether he was sawing off the, the South Koreans uh, on the tree limb, or was it an oversight, or what was it? You know, I, I really don't know. I, I think uh, some of the calculus was it's just too hard to, uh, to defend uh, South Korea against Russian-backed North Koreans, communists, and so on. And it, it may have been an oversight, too. because I mean, I we mean, had Korea American was, troops there. It was craziness. Well, was we, we didn't have very many. Uh, when After uh, we agreed to uh, divide at the 38th parallel, the Russians withdrew. Of course, they left a lot of their stuff there, and we withdrew. And we, we never had very many troops in South Korea anyway. So in 1950... Maybe there were a thousand uh, U.S. troops advisors. Okay, less than I thought. So, okay. Yeah, not very still, many at all. But still, I mean, a thousand hostages serving your country uh, is—is—it's quite an oversight or mistake, whatever you'd call it. Right, and, and we still have an embassy there. Yeah, we've got an ambassador and dependents, and and so on and so forth. So uh, there were people who were in peril, <laughs> without a doubt. So in, in the spring of 1950, uh, the North Koreans moved almost all the civilians away from the 38th parallel. There was a 10-mile corridor that was uh, basically militarized in North Korea, and they very slowly and secretly moved a lot of troops and, and tanks and ammunition, so on and so forth, down to the 38th parallel. Uh, and, of course, there had been border clashes between the North and South for, for years, between 45 and 50, well, then all of a sudden the North Koreans stopped the clashes. They stopped the aggressive movements. Hmm. And it really looks like they're pulling back. And, and uh, you know, they're not going to contest the 38th parallel. But secretly they were amassing about 90,000 troops in that 10-mile corridor around the 38th parallel. So they, they were uh, a very uh, proficient professional army Many of their divisions had been fighting in China, supporting uh, Mao's communist forces during the Civil War with the uh, nationalist Chinese. So they were experienced. Uh, they had the Russian T-34 tanks uh, and just a lot of uh, experience. They, they had uh, Russian uh, fighters and uh, bombers. Uh, so they were ready to go. On the other hand, the South Korean ROK forces only had about 50,000 troops, and uh, they weren't very well trained at all. Uh, 
Singman Re kept asking us for more equipment. We wouldn't give it to him because we were afraid that he'd invade the North and start World War III. So uh, they were, they had the short side of the stick. That's that's for sure. Uh, like we had a thousand troops there, but we had about a hundred thousand troops in Japan. So June twenty fifth uh, at three o'clock in the morning, thunderous artillery brigade uh, barrage happens. The North Koreans come across the 38th parallel in mass. And oh, by the way, June 25th is a Sunday, just like Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hmm. So they, they come across. Within a couple days, they're in Seoul. Uh, within weeks, they're, they're south of uh, Seoul to Taejeon and Osan. Uh, we immediately go to the United Nations uh and, and say, we have to do something about this. And at this point in time, the USSR, Soviets, who had a veto, had walked out of the United Nations over our refusal to seat Red China in place of Nationalist China. So the, the UN gave all these uh, approvals to, uh, to raise forces and raise an army and combat the North Korean uh, insurrection into, into South Korea. Uh, by the 28th of June, Seoul fell. Uh, we sent a regimental combat team called Task Force Smith uh, to South Korea very quickly. And, and of course, there is some American arrogance there. Yeah. We we have just beaten uh, Japan and and uh, Germany. And when they sent the troops from uh, from Japan, they said, "Take enough stuff for a couple days. We'll we'll just be you know a couple days." <laughs> And another Macar- another MacArthur miscalculation. Uh, Rick, I, I, Rick Bigelow, let me let's uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back uh, and 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 sort of wrap up the beginning of the Korean War. Uh, w- you know, before we go to break and weather again, Rick Bigelow is with us. The start of the Korean conflict. It is the anniversary. We'll be back. Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones and move from number 26 to number four this date, 1965. And of course, General Electric, the huge conglomerate reduced to such a state uh, by Jeff Immelt and a series of just missteps, primarily by Immelt, taken from the Dow Jones Industrial Average. (laughs) <laughs> replaced by a drugstore chain. Yeah. General Electric. Uh, they were the they were the symbol of American industrial might. It only takes one horrible leader. Remember that when you look at Joe Biden. One horrible leader can spoil greatness. So we're talking about the Korean War which began Last year, or yesterday, as an anniversary, 1950, the 25th, and we're talking with Rick Bigelow, and uh, he is with us. Uh, So let's go at least into the initial steps of the advance uh, that you started to talk about. I mean, it was lightning fast. It was 90,000 well-trained, pretty well-equipped troops. And they did in, they did a, a immense damage, and got all the way to Seoul, which is not far from the thirty eighth parallel. 
Right. Uh, and and uh, talk a little bit about the uh, South Korean troops. Uh, they were undermanned and, and uh, not pretty well led and didn't have very good uh, equipment. And they, they were pushed back almost immediately. And uh, it was a, a full-scale retreat to the south on the part of uh, many of the ROK troops. Uh, we sent, uh, a, like I said, a regimental combat team in that was quickly overwhelmed. And then we sent the uh, 21st, 22nd Divisions, who were stationed in Japan, into Korea. And uh, th- they uh, put up a little bit more resistance, slowed down the North Korean advance somewhat, but it was still very tough sledding uh, for the Americans. And th- the, the best thing that happened for our point of view was the Far East Air Force uh, was headquartered in Japan, and they very quickly dominated the skies. Uh, the uh, the Russian propeller-driven planes were uh, no match for the Americans, and and uh, we were slowly attriting the uh, the North Korean troops with uh, uh, bombing attacks and strafing attacks and so on. And the other thing that happened was the uh, the Far East Air Force uh, bombed Pyongyang and all all kinds of cities and areas in North Korea, and for the most part, this was the first indication that the average North Korean citizen knew that there was a war going yeah, on. Yeah. And to this day, they they say that the Americans started the war and we moved south in reaction to the American bombing. <laughs> so, so, so they, towards the end of uh, July and into August, they had pushed uh, what was left of the American troops and the South Korean troops into about a 30 or 40 mile perimeter around the southeastern uh, Korean uh, town of Pusan. Now, as soon as the war broke out, we started to mobilize forces in the U.S. Uh, Marines put together a division to send over, and they were supposed to go to Japan and train for a while and then go to Korea, but things got so bad in Korea that they, they just went right into Pusan. Uh, and Rick Bigelow, and, we do, we, we're almost pushed off the peninsula, and we don't have this huge standing army at this point either. That is correct. Uh, at the end of World War II, we had about 12 million men and women in uniform. By 1948, that was down to about 1.1 million, something like that. And then all kinds of things happened. We had the... Uh, the uh, Berlin airlift because Stalin had closed off the access to Berlin. Uh, the, the communist Chinese beat the nationalist Chinese and the Russians uh, based on uh, a lot of information that they stole from our Manhattan project uh, exploded an atomic bomb. So I think we were hoping that world war two would mean the end of war uh, and we demobilized. Well, that's not what happened. So we, it's pretty easy to demobilize. You can get awfully weak, awfully quick, yeah. but it's very hard to rebuild that. And especially, I mean, we had several divisions in Japan, but under MacArthur's orders, they had, uh, they didn't have a very uh, big presence. We, we, he didn't want to see the, the Japanese people see us driving around in tanks and chewing up the countryside and all that. So they were more or less a, a super constabulary force. So they they weren't really combat ready. So Rick Bigelow, uh, this is the start of the Korean war. Are there any other 
features of that war in the in the very near term that you would like to go over with us uh, when we get together again? Yeah, I think uh, you know we we held at the Pusan perimeter, and then uh, on September fifteenth, uh, we had the Incheon landing. All right, and I think it's probably a good time to talk about that because uh, between holding the Pusan perimeter and the Incheon landing. Turn things around 180 degrees. Well, we'll help, and and we'll hear from you on other issues, World War II and and South and Pacific related. Before that, I hope. Uh, yeah, a couple of weeks we'll talk about uh, the New Georgia campaign in the Solomon Islands, which was the the next one after Guadalcanal, and in for all intents and purposes, it was as bloody as the Guadalcanal campaign. Yeah. Our patent attorney, our favorite patent attorney, Rick Bigelow, he's also our favorite uh, Pacific historian. Thank you so much, as always. Uh, we've got to remember when, how, and why these conflicts started, and it usually points to some level of weakness and some level of permissiveness, <laughs> as, as it did here. Uh, thank you so much, Rick Bigelow. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Bob. Anytime. We'll talk soon. Rick Bigelow, and uh, we'll be back. I hear that sound. That means weather. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from meteorologist Joe Snedeker. Today, a flood watch until 11 o'clock tonight. Muggy this morning. There have been breaks of sun, but scattered showers as well. Then thunderstorms later this afternoon into the evening. The high will be about 82. Tonight, storms ending. Isolated showers, low of 64. Tomorrow, Tuesday, muggy with more scattered showers and thunderstorms. High of 80. Wednesday, less humid. Scattered showers, some sun. High of 75. And then Thursday, dry, sunny. High of 80. Bob Canaro back with you. So I get a text, or I'm sorry, an email, and we talk, we're honoring the Morgan family and also the Fleming family, who had two killed in action in World War I, and it combined with the Morgan family of Scranton, and the service extends for four generations. Well, we talked to you about... The brothers dying, they were seven years apart, but dying on the same date, July 20th, 1990. Now, a brother passed away September 14th of 2001. We know what was going on then, obviously. But what is fascinating that Tom Morgan has related to me and and it demonstrates that you know this goes beyond our admiration on this program for the Morgan family, the Flemings and the Morgans. But a father and son were given a presidential memorial certificate. Now, now, in addition to passing away the same day as his brother, both had served in the military during World War II. The father and son veterans in the Morgan family were honored by father and son presidents. George H.W. Bush for Benjamin Morgan's certificate. And James Morgan's certificate is signed by George W. Bush. Both framed, hanging in the living room at uh, 
Tom Morgan's house. That is remarkable. Wow. That is such good stuff. Well, when you serve this country for four generations, I guess those kinds of things are deserved and earned. Amazing. Amazing stuff. And, and uh, Tom, thank you for that. We're so happy to relate it. Uh, let's go to Mr. Tech from Einan. <laughs> How are you, Wayne? <laughs> Very good. How was, was your weekend? I hope well. Oh, fantastic. I, I hope things great. went nice and smooth. Absolutely great. How about you? Did you get a hole? Did you get a hole in one? No. <laughs> they are elusive. <laughs> I could believe No hole in one at the Marjon this weekend. Nope. <laughs> That's the reason I took up bowling. It was easier. Didn't get thinking of <laughs> yes. golf. You know you're going to generally knock down at least a couple pins. <laughs> yeah. That's why I bowl yeah. at idle hours because I, yeah. uh, you know, I, well, I'm I'm Polish and Slovak, so it comes natural to me after a, a few frames that I'm ready for action. <laughs> yeah, I found out that being out in the golf course, the only possibility I had hitting a hole in the one that's a bounce off two trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found that bowling, bowling uh, at idle hours and golfing at yep. the Marjan, I not only enjoy the games. I'm not good, right. but I enjoy the, I enjoy yeah. bowling and golf immensely. And yeah. and then I get to have a few after and get some great yeah. food, so that yeah. it all works. <laughs> yes, that used to be an everyday Friday night affair for me yeah. during the fall and the winter. Yeah, just uh, a little bit of the alcohol and a little bit of the, the uh, pizza and a little bit of this and a little yep. bit of that. Yep. At Poor Richard's at some point. That's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Here's tell us you, you you called about Russia. It's a, yes, been a it's been a fascinating. Uh, quickly moving weekend, and I was so happy that uh, uh, John Perillo from Monday Musings was able to sort of capsulize and update us on it. But go ahead, fire away. Yeah, he he he's very interesting. I like listening to him, Bobby. He's, he's here's my here's my here's my opinion on a lot of this. If everybody's praising losing Putin, if, I think that would be a very dangerous move at the moment. Yes. If we if we lose Putin. I have no idea what's going to be in second charge, okay? Now you got all these missiles over in Belarus, the tactical nukes, okay? And you just got a small army over there, about 25,000 people, okay, uh, in charge by uh, Wagner's group there, okay? And that gentleman that's in charge of Wagner's group absolutely hates the Ukrainian people, Okay. So if, if they move in and take charge of those nuclears, that could be a very, very dangerous situation for the whole northern part of that, but not just that nation, other nations. And and don't right forget, and don't forget, I will tell you, and I could I could say it with certainty, uh, having studied Russia, having studied the Soviet Union, there will not be, if Putin was eliminated quickly, there will yes. not be a clear succession. They'll make January 6th look like a weenie roast. Yes, they will. I agree. I've, I've studied a lot about Russia, too, Bobby. And you are right. You are so correct. Okay? They do not make any fast moves as far as new power goes. It usually winds up in a in a big major tussle. And that's what I mean. We lose, you, you lose control with Putin. 
okay, you lose control in Belarus, okay, because of the Wagner group there. He's got 25,000 troops. If he can get around all those nukes, he can control that whole eastern section of, like, even as far as Germany with those things. Yeah. Okay? Those things have a range, believe it or not, 700-some miles. You know, (laughs) It, it, that could be turned into a very deadly situation over there. Well, uh, we got we got to hope. I, I, I'm hoping that there are some adults still left in our foreign policy establishment who oh have God, something who have something <laughs> other than getting rid of Putin on their minds when it comes Literally. to this war. Yeah. Well, frankly, they could have had this war over almost immediately <laughs> by yes, ceding by ceding the obvious, which is that Crimea is Russian. And by saying that the Ukrainians will not join NATO. And it was done, like, in March. And they, so I I fear their their motives. And Trump Trump had had a situation lined up, okay, where the Ukrainian people, okay, I'm not blowing Trump's horn or anything. I'm not a lover of him, I'm not a hater of him. But he had some, he had a situation lined up where the Ukrainian people that were Russians, could actually leave the country because yeah. they could not get a passport from the Ukrainian people to leave the country to go back to, to Russia to see their families. Yeah, That was another situation there. Well, yeah, the Ukrainians don't have the cleanest hands uh, in terms no, of corruption, in terms of the treatment yeah. of uh, native Russians, who, by the way, were forced to go there by Stalin. It wasn't yes. their choice. <laughs> yes, it wasn't know. their choice. Yeah. Right. That wasn't their choice because... They were forced there to go to work the mines, and that's what they're still forced to do, Yep, is work the mines. Wayne, know? Wayne, we appreciate it, but we're way over. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thanks, Bobby. All right, my Bobby, friend. Good luck on that. Good luck on that next hole in one. <laughs> It'll be at the margin. <laughs> it's going to happen. All right. Well, Wayne from mine, and we'll take a break. We shall return. We're back. June 26, 1982, Survivor moving up the charts with their hit single, Eye of the Tiger. That, of course, uh, was that Rocky 3 or 2? I don't remember. But it was one of the Rocky movies that it accompanied. We want to thank our hourly sponsors, Dunmore Lumber, 622 South Blakely Street, Dunmore. They, uh, well, they're the place to beat the big box blues. You get service price and selection, but you get convenience and a locally owned business. And then the Marjan Golf Course. No, I don't have a hole-in-one there yet. I didn't get one this weekend. But it is the best barking in local golf. Again, family-operated. The food's fantastic. The course is great. And it is it is the best barking in golf. It is. Somebody, uh, I'm, I'm watching on my monitor. And I, I've got to tell you, it hasn't even dawned, it hadn't even dawned on me yet. But it should have. How was I missing this? Now, the party of government, the left-wing lunatics, the Biden administration, are taking a very serious interest in artificial intelligence. That should give all of us great concern because these are the people who are trying to censor speech which is contrary to their foolishness. That's, <laughs> it was like the, a V8. I should have had a V8. I, it, now I know 
why they're so interested in artificial intelligence. They want to use it to control the population. Believe me when I tell you this. And it's an incredibly dangerous tool that can do so. We've got to watch. We've got to watch. We're finishing with Shambhala from Three Dog Night. We thought we would have a, a, a personalized version of it, but we're going to do the we'll do the uh, Three Dog Night version. Funny, so one of you uh, picked up exactly what I was implying. Remember Biden saying about Ukraine, a minor incursion somehow differentiating <laughs> wow well just as dean atchison may have given the green light to the north koreans back in 1950 joe biden did the same but but remember it was worse than that statement it was worse than the weakness he projected in meeting with putin it was hamstringing our energy policy, so Putin thought he held Europe hostage. As with any major decision, it's about a lot of things at once. Well, great to be back with you. Pleased and honored to talk about the Morgan family and... Before that, the Fleming family, who we lost in, two of whom we lost in World War I. They served us brothers in World War II. And then a total of four generations. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure just talking about them. And on top of that, President Bush, the father, honoring Benjamin Morgan, and President Bush, the son, honoring his son, James. Wow. A, a, and then you look at our own the Tom Morgan who got us the info. He served us, not only as an EMT, as a fireman, career fireman, city of Scranton. That, that's good stuff. Guys, you can always let me know by snail mail, Route 315, Pittston Township, 18640, or Odyssey, Bob Cordaro, C-O-R-D-A-R-O, Robert dot Cordaro, C-O-R-D-A-R-O, at Odyssey, A-U-D. ACY.com. Thanks to John Perillo for today. Thanks to Tom Morgan. And thanks to Rick Bigelow. We will be doing this all week, guys. Have a great afternoon. Well, we are adjourned. The Clown for Common Sense. <laughs> WYLK News Radio. This is the Bob Cordaro Show Podcast. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 